0: The Leslie Marshall Show, the only true democracy in talk radio, of, for, and by you, the people. Live, nationwide, and streaming live at LeslieMarshallShow.com. Call in with your thoughts at 888-6-LESLIE. You know
1: Good afternoon, and welcome to another edition of The Leslie Marshall Show. This is your guest co-host with the mostest, the hostess with the mostest. I don't know. I got to figure out a, a good moniker. I'm still working on it. This is Michelle Jawando. And um, for those of our regular listeners, you know, a few weeks ago, I joined the Leslie Marshall family and coming to you live every week from three to four on Thursdays. It's always an honor and privilege to be with the Leslie Marshall Show family. And listen, I love talking to you, but I also love hearing from you. If you want to join in the conversation, give us a call at eight. Eight six Leslie. That's eight 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 six five three seven five four three. And I'm here in Washington D.C. at the Center for American Progress. Um, many of you know that I serve here as the our Vice President of Legal Progress at the Center for American Progress. But we talk about any and every issue here at CAP. Um, and I know that there are tons of issues that you're talking about over your kitchen tables and your workstations and at the water cooler. And I'd love to hear from you. I'd love to talk to you and kind of get to know you a little bit better. I'm excited about the show that we have happening today. Um, I shared with you earlier that we're here in Washington, D.C. For about 20 days, we had the longest period of rain. It was rainy. It was cold. And then all of a sudden, yesterday, it turned into summer. So it's hot, sunny, but we've just had a long period of rain and what is the topic that everyone is discussing none other than Zika. And so in a little bit, I'm going to bring in two great guests who are going to talk about the Zika virus, um, talk about what we can do to protect ourselves this summer, talk about some of the risks and the concerns for reproductive health, um, and I want to get into that conversation and want to hear from you. I want to give you a quick update, though, on some of the major headlines that we saw over the news. President Obama joined other G7 leaders at the uh, G7 at Hiroshima. So today, the president also visited um, the Shinto religion's holiest shrine today under the escort of Japan's PM. Uh, The visit to the shrine is somewhat controversial, as critics say that the president is catering to a conservative base that wants to put religion back into politics and revive traditional values. So it'll be interesting as some of the feedback coming from overseas one of the other big headlines that are making news today is that Donald Trump has clenched the Republican nomination with the final delegate signing off on him today. So many of you remember earlier conversations when Ted Cruz and John Kasich were, were teaming up to prevent Donald Trump from reaching the elusive magic number. And this afternoon um, in North Dakota – Donald Trump stood beside um, a number of supporters as he clinched the magic number. So we'll definitely be talking about that in the context of the the broader political realities right now. But I like to also talk information and give our great listeners who are tuning in the information that they need. And so joining me in studio to talk Zika and reproductive and maternal health implications as we head into the summer, none other than Dr. Jamila Taylor who is a senior fellow here at the Center for American Progress. She tweets at at Dr. D-R-T-A-Y-L-O-R-O-9. Jamila, welcome to the show.
2: Thanks for having me.
1: So appreciate you being here. And then also joining us on the phone is none other than Dr. Manisha Sharma, who is a leader in the Doctors for America organization, like the name of that group, a family medicine physician out of Baltimore. And she tweets at Dr. D-R underscore M-S-H-A-R-M-A. Good afternoon, Dr. Sharma. Good afternoon. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining us. So I'm going to bring you both into the conversation, but let's go quickly to this clip from uh, CDC Director Frieden.
3: We have literally been learning more every day about Zika, but there's still a lot we don't know, and the bottom line is very clear. We need to do everything in our power to protect pregnant women so that we reduce the number of infants born with birth defects. It's now proven, and it's the first time it's ever happened. This is unprecedented, that a mosquito bite can cause a terrible birth defect. That's what Zika does. It's a horrific situation where the virus uh, infects the mosquito, the mosquito infects the pregnant woman, and the virus then enters the pregnant woman. Woman's bloodstream and hones in a target on the infant's developing brain and destroys the brain cells or thousands. This is really unusual. The big picture is that in the end, Congress did the right thing on Ebola, and I hope that in the end they will do the right thing on Zika. But we don't have a lot of time. The window of opportunity is closing, and there are two issues that have to be resolved. First, we have to pay back the emergency money that we borrowed to deal with Zika. And we took money from emergency preparedness grants to states around the U.S., not because that's unimportant money, but because that was about the only money we had. It wasn't a goodwill gesture. It was the only place we could go for money. So it was a, a way of uh, getting started. And Quite frankly, uh, when some of the planning was going on in the supplemental request, I asked at one meeting, how long is this going to take? Because, you know, we, we need the money quickly. And I was told, oh, it'll be very quick, probably, you know, maybe three months. And my jaw literally dropped. It's like three months is an eternity when it comes to stopping an outbreak. So we reprogrammed money. That money needs to go back to what it was meant for by Congress initially. The second problem is we have to start the work now that will take many years. That includes work to understand what the impacts are on women and children, work to better stop mosquitoes because we don't have great tools. If we use our existing mosquito control tools better together, we think we can do a lot and we need new ones and better ways to diagnose the infection and ultimately a vaccine. All of those things are going to take time. The sooner we start, the faster we go, the sooner we'll get a solution.
1: So... Dr. Sharma, I want to bring you into this conversation. Um, first, give us a little bit of a background um, about some of the work that you're doing and some of the questions that you may be getting from many of your patients.
4: Sure. So, a lot of I do a lot of in the trenches work. I'm a primary care physician in Baltimore City, and um, And so, you know, I see every single day, I see, you know, people of different ages. I'm a family medicine doctor. And so, you know, actually just recently I did have questions about Zika. I had uh, a couple that was going, they were going to Brazil um, and they, you know, they don't have children, but they are childbearing and they were asking questions about if they can be sexually active It's on their vacation um what signs and symptoms to look for and so i do a lot of education on a trying to sort of calm down um some of the myths that are being sort of pro- pro, you know projected out there and also to give them just the actual facts of knowledge that we do know right now Um, And the things that they can do to prevent um, having um, mosquito bites or prevent the possible risks that they may have um, in being, um, you know, a young couple who may be wanting to have, uh, you know, children, what they can do that it doesn't stop their sex life, if you will.
1: (laughs) Right, right. And now, Jamila, please tell us a little bit about kind of you put out a column, and I know we'll, we'll go into a little bit more after the break, but just give us some of the top lines from your column that you recently put out.
2: Um, Thanks, Michelle. I think in terms of the the research um, that I've been doing on Zika and sort of the focus of of my work is really, you know, pushing us to think about how the potential impact on low-income communities. Um, the CDC has estimated that, you know, you know we're going into the summer months and we could see an uptick in infected mosquito populations, particularly in the southern region. And so we know that in the southern region, you know, it's, it's largely disproportionate um, women of color, people of color, um, low-income communities who don't go to the doctor as regularly um, as those of us with means do. And so my concerns have really been around making sure that those folks have access to testing. Um, pregnant women are being um, getting outreach and information on, you know, how to make sure that they have healthy pregnancies um, and also access to pediatric care. So my focus is really on thinking about Zika in the context of um, communities that are underserved and how they could be impacted.
1: Well, I want to hear more because I think, you know, the one thing that I hear from everyone for the summer is how do they prepare and Mm -hmm. protect themselves? I want to talk a little bit so we can get the fear out of the conversation and we bring in the information. You're listening to Michelle Jawando on The Leslie Marshall Show. We'll be back right after the break.
0: Life, liberty and the pursuit of truth. The Leslie Marshall show 8886 Leslie
1: Welcome back. This is Michelle Jawando on The Leslie Marshall Show. I love hearing from you, so I hope you join in the conversation. Give us a call at 888 6 Leslie, 888 653 7543. And if you want to join the conversation online, you can follow along on Twitter at Leslie Marshall or at Michelle. M-I-C-H-E-L 1-L-E Jawando J-A-W-A-N-D-O Joining me back in studio Jamila Taylor PhD senior fellow here at the Center for American Progress tweeting at D-R-T-A-Y-L-O-R-O-9 and also joining over the phone Dr. Manisha Sharma who's a family medicine physician in Baltimore and one of the leaders in the Doctors for America organization Now Jamila before we um, went to break. You talked a little bit about your column, um, which is an aspect of this conversation. I haven't really heard that much about. What what really prompted you to kind of feel red, led to start doing this research and kind of getting this work out?
2: Well, initially, you know, I've been tracking Zika for you know several months, um, way before we even you know started to see um, transmission in the United States, and so. Um, not too long ago, the CDC came up with an estimation, which is basically a map um, that shows, you know, where we could see an uptick in um, infected mosquito populations in the United States. And included in that map, we saw that, um, you know, the South is particularly vulnerable um, to infected mosquitoes, um, not only due to the warm temperatures, um, standing water, um, you know, in the Gulf region. Um, And then also I think you know, other things we have to think about in terms of the South is the fact that, um, you know, in low-income communities, there are fractured health systems. And so um, we know that people there...
1: um, And what do you mean by fractured health systems?
2: Meaning that they may not be well-suited to respond to a public health concern like Zika if the resources are not available. Mm
1: -hmm.
3: Mm -hmm.
2: Um, And, um, you know, when you're serving... Communities that are disproportionately low income, um, there's more need there. And so Mm -hmm. that's one of the things that stuck out to me when I saw the estimation. You know, there's so much talk about um, now the funding and -hmm. the fact that we need the funding, but not a lot about. you know the, these particular communities that could be impacted. So for me, I really wanted to put um, a paper out there that really highlighted the potential
1: impact on low-income
2: women and families.
1: And Dr. Sharma, so you you shared with our listeners um, that you're very much on the front lines of this um, potential what the World Health Organization has deemed an international public health emergency. But I often find in this situation that there's a lot of hyperbole maybe not as much facts, and then not a lot of what do I actually do. So how how are you dealing with, you know, in one sense, we should do as much as we can to really prepare for this public health emergency. At the same time, we still want people to go outside and enjoy themselves. So h- how do you deal with that?
4: Right. So, I mean, I think a lot of it – So whenever we, you know, in the summertime, a lot of people travel, um, even if they travel down south from Maryland um, to visit family, go to the beach, whatever it is that they're wanting to do. Um, And so, you know, a lot of first, our question always is talking about you know are they planning on traveling are they going to go travel and if they do, we tell them about you know the fact that Zika is there, especially um florida um texas louisiana those uh, those south southern states that a lot of my patients actually have family in and then tell them about things that they can look out for um, and just like any mosquito bite for the summer which is a you know a pain for many people it's very uncomfortable I and mean, we talk a lot about how to prevent even just having normal mosquito bites and so that we start from a very simple place that people can relate to um, you know, making sure they use bug repellent, wearing long sleeves, um, you know, long pants, um, to be in cool places. Um, and then being able to really think about, um, you know, just uh, making sure that, you know, that they look know what signs and symptoms are for Zika. Um, and, you know, a lot of times most people don't actually have any um, symptoms. Mm-hmm. Um, for those who are childbearing age or folks who are... Um, pregnant, we do definitely give a lot of education on getting them to understand that, you know, this is what we do know, the basics of what we do know about Zika, and, you know, and and alleviating their fears, the questions that they have of what we don't know. Mm -hmm. Um, And, uh, you know, and a lot of times, a lot of questions that I do get are, so can I never have sex again? And you know, and I try to get folks to think about that. Of course, you can. And right, we, but, we still know, want to give it.
1: you the opportunity to get busy Absolutely. during the summer. You know <laughs> right. what? Take we that away. Get
4: busy. <laughs> Absolutely, and I mean, and no better time to do it but in the summertime, right? Where things are feeling good with the summer solstice. So you know, and and so a lot of us, you know, we 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 you of course, you can have sex lots of sex as much as sex as you want to have but at the end of the day you know we do think about the fact that we should prevent just thinking if this is a really high concern and this is a concern and this is a public health concern to think about the fact that if you're in endemic areas that you know condom use is obviously you know best um Mm -hmm. no glove Mm -hmm. no love Mm -hmm. um and just thinking about thinking through that um you know uh we do know that for pregnant women, we do um, do tell them that it's best for them that they can always still get busy while they're pregnant, but obviously using condoms would be to their best uh, to the best um, of their their health as well as their um, their baby's health.
1: That's right. So, Jamila, we're getting ready to um, close and head to the next break. Where can listeners find your paper? where can they find you online and what would be your 32nd word of advice?
2: So I can be found, well, the piece can be found um, at www.americanprogress.org. It should be right there on um, the home homepage. Um, Zika virus in the United States. Um, I can also be, I can also be reached on Twitter, as folks know, at Dr. 9 um, And I think, in terms of moving forward, I, I think it's just best for all of us to keep our eyes and ears open um, in terms of Zika. And I think for for women, um, particularly low-income women, to you know make sure that there's outreach happening at the state and local levels um, for women who could be at risk. Um, a big concern of mine is the fact that low-income women um, are not going to the doctor regularly, and if they're pregnant, and even though we we know that, um, you know, Zika could show up um, earlier in pregnancies. We want low-income women to be going to the doctor so they can get tested and treated um, to have a healthy
1: pregnancy. That's right. And there's more information if you go to cdc.gov backslash Zika. They have great information and tips to protect yourself during the summer. We'll be right back after the break. Welcome back. You are listening to Michelle Jawando on the Leslie Marshall Show. Always great to be with you and I love hearing from you. If you want to join in on the conversation give us a call at 888 6 Leslie, 888-653-7543 or you can follow along on Twitter at Leslie Marshall or at Michelle M-I-C-H-E-L-E Jawando J-A-W-A-N-D-O So really had an awesome segment on Zika. I know many of you were chiming in even on Twitter um, and we're definitely going to bring a number of those guests back um, particularly as we head into the summer months. But I want to take a turn to one of my favorite topics. Um, many of you know my uh, background as a voting rights attorney and really being involved in these issues. So this is something kind of near and dear to my heart um, and so I'm really excited that today. Um, joining me in studio is none other than Layla Zidane, who is the managing director at Generation Progress. She tweets at, at Layla, L-A-Y-L-A underscore says S-A-Y-S. Layla, welcome. Thanks for having me. And joining us over the phone, um, coming from the windy city of Chi Town, uh, Devin Reed, who's a voting rights organizer at Chicago Votes. Uh, And you can follow them on Twitter at Chicago, C H I C A G O Votes, V O T E S. Devin, welcome to the show.
0: Good morning. (laughs) Afternoon.
1: This point. <laughs> well, thanks so much for being with us today. So, Layla, let me let me just start with you. Um, one of the reasons that I was excited about doing. First off, I always love having you in studio (laughs) with me. Oh, thank you. You're wonderful. Um, But one of the things that I think is a little-known fact um, as we head into this election, and it's something that I think we need to share and scream from the rooftops, is this is the first um, election um, that we will find um, millennials and boomers, at the same amount in terms of voting eligible population. Um, And to me, that's a really big deal.
5: Yeah, absolutely. That's right. And in the next election, uh, we will actually have millennials comprise the largest share of voters in 2020. So um, nothing to scoff at. And I think that It's such an important generation to talk about, not just because of the power that they have at the ballot box, but because of the unique challenges, I think, that our generation is facing in terms of even uh, having access to exercise their right to vote. Um, And so this is is a really unique time, and you're seeing some places do some very interesting things to kind of try and increase the share of, of young folks really
1: exercising their right to vote. Well, one of those young people who are, are kind of continue to be on the front lines is none other than our guest, Devin. Um, yeah. uh, what a lot of people may not be familiar with is this kind of idea around automatic voter registration. Uh, so one of the the biggest successes that we've seen on automatic voter registration is in actually Oregon. And yeah. what essentially Oregon does for our listeners who may not be familiar Um, is under the program any unregistered eligible Oregonian who applies for or renews a driver's license is automatically registered to vote. So it takes the onus off of the actual individual and it puts it on um, kind of the infrastructure of the state who's already has the information can check and verify eligibility. Um, It's efficient and it's cheaper um, and it has been hugely successful In Oregon, um, since they launched in January, uh, they said there's something like over 120,000 people who've been added to the rolls this year. And Devin, you're on the front lines of trying to do the same thing in Illinois, isn't that true?
0: Yes, yes, it is. And uh, so, Illinois has uh, 2.2 eligible uh, citizen, 2.2 million Illinoisans who are eligible to vote that aren't on the voter rolls. Uh, but what's also unique about, uh, Illinois' version of, uh, automatic voter registration is we don't, uh, only include the DMV. We're reaching out, branching out to agencies, uh, such as, uh, you know, the Department of Aging. So people who interact with that office will automatically be registered to vote. Uh, people who interact with, uh, women and infants and children, the WIC office, will also be, uh, automatically registered to vote. So we've branched it out to a few more agencies, uh, to capture even more folks, not just the DMV. And that's, uh, I think something very unique to uh, uh, the Illinois bill.
1: And so w- why do you think that there isn't kind of a, a huge groundswell? It, it would seem to most people to make sense to do something like this. Um, what has been kind of the your energy or the engagement on the ground? Are people receptive to what you're trying to do?
0: Yeah, uh, so when we, when we're talking to, you know, everyday folks, they're very excited about it. When we're talking to, uh, legislators, uh, they are also excited about it. Uh, there are some apprehensions, uh, potentially about the cost, but then, you know, as you said, it's more cost efficient over time. Uh, you know, there are some worries about, you know, are we going to capture people who maybe aren't U.S. citizens, but there's, you know, protections against that in the bill as well. So, uh, there's really, it's a, it's a common sense bill. Uh, there there actually isn't a lot of opposition to
1: it. And now, who is Chicago Votes? Because, you know, we may be familiar with some of the kind of broader organizations um, like we hear of often kind of Rock the Vote and either Generation Progress, but I think it's always important to really lift up people who are on the front lines um, in the various states. So tell our listeners a little bit about um, Chicago Votes.
0: Yeah, Chicago Votes, uh, is a a non-partisan, uh, organization, uh, that works with young people, uh, particularly from underserved communities, underrepresented communities, uh, and we work to educate and engage young people in the political process and, you know, show them how you know one make sure that they understand how they can exercise their voting rights but also how they can interact with their government to make their communities uh you know represent their values and then that's the work that we do on the front lines of chicago votes uh, we've you know over the last few years we've registered over uh twenty thousand people uh, which is absolutely amazing
1: wow, which is amazing
0: uh, yeah yeah it's absolutely amazing. and then uh we, we've worked with young people uh in cps we've we just finished up a program where we, uh, had fellows in several CPS schools teaching civics to, to young people and getting them out to vote. Uh, so we've taken, uh, hundreds of students, uh, just this cycle, uh, in the primary election to, uh, to go vote as well. That's awesome. And we've also we've been on the front lines of making a same-day voter registration a reality here Mm -hmm. in Illinois, which is huge.
4: Mm -hmm. Uh, We
0: got brought uh, online voter registration. Uh, We were part of the Just Democracy Coalition that led efforts to bring those two uh, those two bills uh, to Illinois.
1: Now, you know, one of the things that I wanted to highlight for our listeners, and you're listening to Michelle Jawando on the Leslie Marshall Show, um, that actually automatic voter registration has bipartisan support. Um, A majority of Americans, some estimates uh, close to 55% of Republicans and um, over 75% of Democrats support automatic voter registration for people interacting with the DMV. So this is one of those Kind of common sense, bipartisan. Let's get it done and let's make government more efficient. I mean, I think that's yeah. something that everyone um, can get behind, and let's bring more people into the process. And Leila, I know you spent a lot of time traveling all over the country with just that message.
5: Exactly. Yeah. And and I would just say we we love Chicago votes. We work with y'all all the time, and I think it speaks to the impact you can have on the state level, um, really making these changes. And you mentioned the the number from Oregon of how many people have been. Been enrolled this past year, actually half of those people are millennials. Wow. Uh, 50% of those people were aged 18 to 35. And so I think it's so important to have people on the front lines um, on the states advocating for, uh, for processes like this because... Once you lose a young person with their first experience voting, whether it's because it was too hard to register, the line was too long, that somebody told them they had to show ID when they didn't have to, um, that sets them up for a lifetime of of disenfranchisement, self-selected disenfranchisement or uh, imposed by, unfortunately, state law. And so I think kind of using automatic voter registration as kind of a gateway Mm -hmm. uh, to enabling young people to participate more fully in democracy just makes it more inclusive. um, And I think that's an idea that most Americans can get behind.
0: And and can I chime in? I want to say, you know, just firsthand with uh, Chicago Votes, our experience, as I said, this cycle, we took hundreds of students to we did marches to the polls. Uh, in many of those cases, we were bringing about, uh, you know, around 100 students each time to, uh, you know, an early voting location. And, and, you know, there were extremely long lines. A lot of our students had to use the same day voter registration law, which were extremely, uh, you know, was, was, was extremely helpful. But what, you know, statistics have shown 80% of the people who use same day voter registration in Cook County would have already been registered to vote, uh, you know, under, if, if AVR was already reality. Wow. And so that, wow. you know, so when our students went to vote, it took us, you know, in some cases, a couple of hours to cycle through all of the students uh, because, you know, they had to register to vote there at the polls. And so, so it really you, does. It, it makes the experience. We, we, we kept reiterating to our students that, you know, this is just because it's the first time you're voting. Uh, and that when you, you know, now that you're registered, you won't have to go through this again. That's right.
1: And so, Devin, when that. we come back from the break, I, I like to talk a little bit. Further about kind of voter turnout and the role of millennials in this election, and we'll be right back after these few minutes.
0: Leslie Marshall, real people, real life, real talk. Eight 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 six Leslie.
1: Welcome back, this is Michelle Jawando. On the Leslie Marshall Show. Love to hear from you. Join in on our conversation. Give us a call at 888 6 Leslie or 888-653-7543. You can follow along on Twitter at Leslie Marshall or at Michelle, M-I-C-H-E-L-E-J-A-W-A-N-D-O. Joining me again back in studio, and I'm happy to have her as none other than Layla Le- Zidane, who is the managing director at Generation She tweets at Layla, L-A-Y-L-A underscore says, and also joining us over the phone, Devin Reed, a voting rights organizer at Chicago Votes. Um, You can follow them on Twitter at Chicago Votes, um, all connected. So right before the break and at the top of the show, I actually talked a little bit about... Um, Donald Trump has now clinched his delegates. Um, it is very likely that Hillary Clinton will be the Democratic nominee. Um, and we are less than, I think, something about 150 or some odd days before Election Day. Um, we're getting closer to the various conventions. And I think a big question that people have, are young people actually going to show up? Um, and we hear this every election season, But I think particularly this is the first time um, Obama won't be on the ballot. Um, You know, can the quote unquote Obama coalition come together again? Um, And what does that look like? And, you know, there's always the conversation. Young people are fickle voters. They don't show up on midterms. They only come for a little bit or they'll show up at rallies and not be engaged. Um, Layla, are they going to show up?
5: All right. Well, what I always like to remind people is young people are people too. And you got to talk to them <laughs> the whole cycle of your yeah. campaign during the election. They're not like trading cards to collect when you think you need them. I love um, that. And I think that's, that's a lot Can of the
1: problem. Can you imagine the millennial trading card <laughs> yeah, edition?
5: <That> exactly. <laughs> exactly. Buzzfeed will, will market that soon. I'm oh,
1: <laughs> we missed our opportunity to become
2: huge yeah. billionaires. Okay.
5: All right. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think that young people really just care about issues the same way any other uh, age group and generation does. But too often they feel like the candidates and politicians aren't talking to them. And that really um, kind of reinforces their distrust in institutions and in democracy. And uh, that's why you see with these charismatic Obama types, and and right now you see it with Sanders kind of promising this broad, like, revolution. Um, I think people want to feel like the candidate cares about their... their issues, the things that matter to their everyday life, and not just when they want your vote, but all of the time. Mm-hmm. And so, um, I think I think that's a challenge for everybody running mm-hmm. now is to make sure that they're uh, they're relating to the the student debt concerns, health care, the mm-hmm. economy, things that young people care about all the time, not just in November.
1: And Devin, you talked about registering almost twenty thousand people um, this past year. What what are you no, hearing?
0: Not this, I'm sorry,
1: over the last few years. Oh, over the last few years. Well, I mean. I mean, obviously you're talking a, a, a huge group of those people are typically underrepresented young people i mean what are they hearing about the political process the first step is registration and hopefully we get to a world where we have automatic voter registration we take the onus off the person so we have more people engaging our democracy but in addition like what what do you hear from people about how they feel about engaging right now
0: well, so so it, it, it's it's somewhat mixed. When we talk about presidential elections, young people are you know more so chimed into that because it's on the news, it's everyone's talking about it. But when we talk more about local elections and we talk about you know Senate races and the the non the non sexy races, but right, uh, they're they're really not getting engaged. Their the campaigns aren't reaching out to young people. They're not you know uh, necessarily uh, you know talking about their issues. And so a lot of times young people are just. Uh, confused and kind of feel left out uh especially the young people that we're working with uh we've been working with high school students recently and uh there, there really isn't a lot of outreach to those guys
1: and so tell us a little bit more about the high school engagement what does that look like
0: so uh, over the last uh, for the last semester, Chicago Votes was uh, in uh, several, like I said, several high schools, and we were teaching civics uh, and, and engaging students in after-school programs. Uh, so it's really we we used uh, the CPS uh, the new civics curriculum, and, that, and that's actually something that's key to this. Is we don't teach students. About many of the, uh, about uh, most of these offices uh, and having a great civics uh, program uh, and education curriculum is I think key to uh, you know kind of shifting the dynamic in the future of uh, young people uh, of just people's engagement overall but especially young people uh, because we have to educate young people well then on- you
1: better understand the system that you're voting for exactly. I mean this is something that um, I personally have always felt like when I went to high school we had a civics class. And so you figured out and you understood all of the branches of government. So it made right. sense. It wasn't just this like ethereal kind of idea of this system of government. And I think most people, um, if you don't have that, it feels like something is missing, um, so to speak. And, and, and Layla, just... As you talk to particularly like young women and and um, people of color, young people of color, I think that there's often this disconnect because they don't always necessarily see themselves in government. They don't feel that it's real in their lives, and hence one of the reasons for like non-engagement.
5: Yeah, absolutely. And and I think as uh, the millennial generation is the most diverse generation, um, most likely to identify as a person of color, Um, obviously women make up a large part of millennials, I think it's so important to make sure that we're not leaving people on the margins when we have these uh, conversations about big issues, about economic policies that um, are family friendly or are going to enable you to maybe one day care for a sick parent. and I think it, it's tough. It is tough for somebody, and speaking as myself, as both a or all three—a millennial, a woman, and person of color. Um, yeah, it can be—it can be discouraging to, mm-hmm. to look around and see like 90-year-old white men making all of the decisions. <laughs> um, but I think that's that's what's so important about organizations like Chicago Votes, Generation Progress, all of the partners that, that we work with—is to really engage people at that young age. I mean, we don't work with high school kids. It's awesome that uh, that you are, but mm-hmm. uh, to make sure that they see that entryway to um, channel that energy that they have towards making. Uh, making change, making progress because young people do want to see social change and and they care about things um, but showing them that pathway into how they can do it
1: and the other thing that I will point out and I think this conversation demonstrates that they also care about issues like you had young people marching in in Chicago talking about automatic voter registration which is a policy platform and as someone who spent most of my career working on policies I'm like people care about issues Um, you just got to present it to them let people understand what you're telling them and then they'll want to be engaged mm-hmm. because they see how it impacts and affects their life so Devin, I, I, i'm going to give you uh one one minute to give closing remarks here yeah
0: well, well, one, one thing i just uh, really want to point out uh is is how impactful the you know youth participation can be here in chicago I don't know if you guys have heard about the, you know, I'm sure you and I know you have the Laquan McDonald uh, case. Mm-hmm. And that really energized young people in Chicago uh, to organize. And and to get involved in the political process, uh, and 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 eventually led to a new state's attorney here in Cook County, the first you know African American uh, woman state's attorney, I think, in the nation. Mm -hmm. Uh, Mm -hmm. And and so that that's just really the importance of you know making sure that you connect issues and and voting with young people. Uh, And and Chicago Votes is working to do that, uh, you know, every day. So.
1: And Layla, how can people find out more about some of the great things you're doing?
5: You can join us online at, at Gen progress on basically any social media channel.
3: <laughs> or Literally uh, everything. Literally anything. We had a
5: Snapchat filter <laughs> last week. We're doing it all. Um, but you can uh, visit our website too at genprogress.org. And we have lots of great ways of how to get engaged both on a national and a local level.
1: This has been another great hour here on The Leslie Marshall Show. The time always goes by way too fast. But I love being here with you, giving you the best information that I can, thoughtful new voices, um, bringing it to you every Thursday from 3 to 4. This is The Leslie Marshall Show. I'll be back next week. You take care.